Good morning, church. So I need to put a disclaimer out there. Somebody said, oh, you're preaching this morning. I was like, I'm speaking. Preaching is too much pressure. I'm speaking. When Tim talked to me, or asked me about subbing in for him, we talked about it. I said, Tim, what did I talk about? He goes, why don't you tell what God's been doing with you for the last year? I was like, well, that's rather pointed and hard. But we'll go. Now, I know the kids are out there, and one of the other things Tim told me, oh, don't forget, it's Communion Sunday, and uh, there are going to be kids in the audience, and you have to have a word for the day. It's like, okay. Well, as I was going through everything, I couldn't come up with a word for the day. And as I left, I came up with one. Because I left, and there on the kitchen counter was the word for the day. So I'm going to ask your indulgence adults, as I use this word from time to time, that you'll see a little bit of humor in it, but it'll keep the kids focused. The word for the day is zucchini. And so kids, you need to count how many times I use the word zucchini. Okay? Are there any, any children here play soccer? Just a show of hands? Okay. Well, when my boys were four or five, they played soccer. And I even helped coach, though I knew nothing about soccer at the time. And for the youngest age group, it was interesting because the rules allow two coaches to actually be directly on the field with the kids to help direct them. Uh, we'd coach, but we couldn't get close to the ball or typically the mob of kids who are around the ball because that's kind of four and five. There's a ball and there's five, six, seven, eight kids all around the ball. So our role was to instruct, to encourage, to cheer, occasionally help pick a boy up who got run over by the zucchini. And I remember on my team, there was this one four-year-old boy who was a bit shy. He'd never played a team sport. I think his name was Kevin. But in his first game, I placed him in a defending position, and I said, Kevin, this is your spot. I said, okay, Mr. D, here's where you'll play. Got it, Mr. D. And he enthusiastically nodded. He knew what to do. And then when the ball came near him, and all the other boys with it, he stood firm. And I mean he stood firm. He didn't budge. He never went to stop the ball. The ball went right by him, by the goalie, and into the net. Well, as a coach, so I went over to him. Kevin, why didn't you move? Big smile. Mr. D, you said this is my spot. It's like, you know, you're right. That's your spot. And you did such a great job in your spot and following directions. I can give you more responsibility. I'm going to give you this area now. Because you've shown yourself so trustworthy in your spot. And now, Kevin, you can play in this area. Got it? And he did. He started to move around and do really well. As the boys got older, coaches weren't allowed on the playing field anymore during the game. Kind of, we, we coached from the sidelines. We were still allowed, we weren't allowed to step over a line unless we hit a penalty point. We were allowed to have two or three coaches, but one coach could actually be behind the line, behind the goal net, waving a zucchini. Or encouraging the boys defending the net. All right, and while the other coach would run up and down the sideline depending on where the ball was. And eventually, as the groups got older, the coach wouldn't even, there wouldn't be anyone behind the net. The coach would be right from the bench and, and coaching and coaching. And parents were in the bleachers, sit along the sidelines, too. 
It seems to me, when I think about parenting and life, it's like a spectator sport sometimes. When our kids are really young, we are on the field with them in life. We hold their hands as they stand up. We instruct them. We steady them so they don't fall. We guide them. We place boundaries around them to protect them, to help them grow. We teach them. We pick them up when they fall. We may even buy them a zucchini. We soothe hurt knees and feelings. We correct them and encourage them when they fail or tired to do right. So for a time, we're on the field with our children. And then we move to the sidelines as they grow old and take other responsibilities. We still instruct, we still encourage, we still root for them, we still cheer for them, we watch as they play in this game of life. We pray for their safety and their protection. We ask God to speak to their hearts. We shout truth from the sidelines. We raise banners of praise and thanksgiving when they're doing real well. Sometimes we wince and we grimace and we go, that looked painful. Did that hurt? It just hurt watching you. And we rejoice in their growth and maturity. And in love we correct. All from the sidelines. Sometimes first row seats. But in the last year, what God's been, what do you do when you're on the sidelines coaching and you've been doing it for years? And someone you love is making a really bad decision, a bad choice. And you see their bad choices are destroying relationships. And their actions are having this ripple effect and impacting so many others that you know and you love around you. Wives and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and friends all being touched by that person's bad choices. You give counsel. You continue to coach from the sideline. You shout. Maybe you stand up and you're waving a banner. You're yelling at the top of your voice. You provide assistance to maybe get them through some rough times. But the other person's heart remains unchanged. They tell you they're talking truthfully to you, but you know you're being lied to. But you still hope they'll change the direction. You talk with God a lot. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you shout. You cry. You ask God why. And maybe you question yourself and say, I wasn't a good enough father. I should have been a better husband. If I'd been a better disciple myself, if I prayed more, if only I had, and you fill in the blank. It's kind of like you know, being at Eagles game or Phillies game. And you're there and you're watching your teams going and all of a sudden they make a play and you know this is the wrong play, don't do that. And they do it anyhow. And your heart just sinks. And then you're thinking, I know what happened. I didn't wear my lucky socks. I know why they lost. I said I wasn't going to shave and I did. You know, I didn't do the winning Ritual. I didn't wave my zucchini. And they would have won. Well, that's kind of the place where I've been for, I'd say, the last 12, 15 months. 
And I don't think my experience is that unique. I think there are many others in this room and listening online who may similarly been hurt or are hurting. Maybe you're the person on the field and you've got people shouting at you and it's still just, for whatever you can't hear them. So what God's been teaching me is this. The Lord is sovereign and his word is true. So in the game of life, there is a ritual that we can do and it works. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll pick up in verse 11. Actually, we'll pick up in verse 10. Finally, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and as he's closing out his letter, he writes these final things to him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and stand, or to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'll go on to 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. There is a ritual we can do in this game of life. We can put on the full armor of God. And as a community of Christians, we can help and encourage each other to put on the full armor of God. Let's take a peek at some of that. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I've got a couple of belts over the years. Some no longer fit my waist. Just what happens with life. I'm betting some of you have the same, the same, same belts in your closet too. But we put on that buckle of truth, that belt of truth, buckle, so that we can be steadfast. We can be self-controlled. We're not going to be moved by hollow or deceptive philosophies of this world. Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Paul writes, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Let us put on the belt of truth and not what tickles our ears. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves 
fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The belt of truth. In the midst of all these other things that want our attention. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means being right with God. Now, in order to be right with God, we need to know the truth about him and what Jesus did for us. We celebrate a communion here in remembrance of what Christ did for us, and that is he died on the cross for our sins. His death and resurrection impute in our acceptance, our trust in we have his righteousness imputed into us. We're given a new spirit. So the breastplate of righteousness. Protect our hearts against sin and against the enemy's attacks. Guard our hearts so that we may do what is right and good. Now I don't know how breastplates in, in, in Roman times fastened on, but I'm kind of thinking there might have been some buckles in the back, and maybe some people needed some help fitting that. And so as a community, we can be helping each other to put their breastplates on. How can I help you fit it and put it on? And can you check mine? Is there something loose? Sandals of readiness for the gospel of peace. This one got me. Be ready, in season and out of season, to give the reason for our hope in Jesus. You know, sometimes those, those opportunities pop up. We're not even ready for them. And somewhere you can sit and they're like, I should say something now. What should I say? How should I say it? Be ready. Start that conversation. Also be ready to see repentance when it comes. When the person playing on the field of life and they're messing up, I keep praying that there'll be repentance there and I don't know when it'll come. I don't want to miss it because I'm angry. I don't want to miss it because I'm ticked off at the person. I kind of think in the parable of the prodigal son, you know, and I'll say it's just a story, it's a parable, it's not, it's not a, you know, Jesus told it, it's not a real life story, it was an example. But I wonder, you know, if, if you dug into that a little more, you ask Jesus, how, how many times did the father just look down the road waiting to see if someone was coming back? I don't want to miss it. I want to be swift, be swift to forgive as God has given forgiven us I want to have those sandals on of readiness the gospel of peace to be ready to forgive and to be ready to be reconciled and to seek reconciliation the shield of faith extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one pick up the shield of faith to defend against the lies and the attacks of this world. I like that. Extinguishing the flaming arrows of the evil one. An arrow hurts, no matter how you, you know. But now we put fire on. Like, I imagine an arrow, it's pointy, it hurts. I don't really like pointy things. I don't know about you guys, I don't like pointy things poking me. 
You know, uh, not that I'm afraid of needles or anything like that, but, you know, the dentist two weeks ago, and, and he said, this is going to hurt. He wasn't lying, it did. A lot. So I don't like pointy things. But I can't imagine, in addition to being stuck with an arrow, but now it's got flames. And I thought about that. You know, we get stuck with something, you maybe get, a thought comes through. And it starts to consume you. And it's a lie. You're not valued. You're not worthy. Oh, I don't believe that. Or do I? Well, I'm pretty crummy sometimes. And we kind of let the flame consume us a bit. The shield of faith. God says, you are valued. You are valued so much. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And you're not who you were. I had a family member, a younger brother of mine, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer, who railed on, on a, phone, a phone call years ago and just remembered it all and just recounted all the horrible things I had done. And I just sat and listened and listened. And there was something in that call that God's spirit, I'm convinced, was just telling me, you don't have to say anything, Todd. And when he was done, I said, everything you said is true. I was like that. I did that. But that's not who I am. I'm not like that anymore. I'm new. Defend against the lies and the attacks of the world with the shield of faith. Isaiah 41.10. One morning a few months ago I called Tim. I said, Tim, my thoughts are going between work, family, stuff going on and like that. My thoughts. Tim, I am just having a hard time focusing. I texted him. And he texted in like that. He texted me back. He said, Isaiah 41.10. And I would memorized it. I just like was so discombobulated that morning. It just went out. I needed a brother to come along and go, hey, check out Isaiah 41.10. I was like, got it, of course. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Put on the helmet of salvation. Protect our minds. Know that your salvation in Christ is free and it cannot be lost. Know that you are changed, that we are changed, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Know that God has plans for us and works for us to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to be messages, to be to the message of reconciliation. The helmet of salvation to our thinking. We don't forget that. Sword of the Spirit. Everybody likes a good sword, right? It, the Roman sword was a short sword, some about 18 inches long. You needed skill in using it. 
be used for close combat for getting in and to slice a zucchini. But you need a skill to get in close. So the word of God is a two-edged sword. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. One of the favorite ones I like is Psalm 32.8. David pours his heart out to God and talks about when he was silent and groaning and what it was like. And then in Psalm 32, verses 8 through 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So let us encourage each other to learn how to use that sword, to be biblically literate, to be able to share with each other. Let us help each other sharpen their swords and practice so we can use it in the world in which we sit. There's my other page. Oh, I'm missing a page. So that's what God's been teaching me for the last several months. How important it is to put on that armor because we come up against so many things in our lives. How important it is for us to be helping each other putting on that armor. To be using God's word, to be loving each other, to be encouraging each other and saying, hey, how's your helmet? How's that belt of truth around you? Hey, I found something in the word here and I'm not sure what it, can you help me figure this out and explain this a little more? As a community, to be doing that. So we carefully and skillfully handle God's word to bring others to repentance and for us to help grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. To be forgiving each other's offenses against us. To be ready for that reconciliation when repentance comes. To seek that. To know that God is sovereign and his word is true. And then Paul closes, he goes, and all of this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. To be equipped and to be alert. Seize those opportunities. Guard ourselves. Be careful against the lies. And to know that God is sovereign and his word is true. So we pray, we submit, we trust, we obey. One of the things I heard a speaker a while ago talked about, it's not that we add Jesus to our lives. We don't bolt him on and he's just another activity. It's no we submit ourselves to Jesus. And in closing out, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you for your word, that you are sovereign. Father, I pray that uh, you would continue to help each and every one of us to put on the full armor, to strengthen, to those things that are weak, Father, to help us, to work on us, to help each other. Father, may we, uh, may we continue to be made new. Father, may you continue to make that new creation and bring your son, Jesus Christ, out. May people see the difference in how we speak, in how we behave, in how we respond. Father, may we speak truthfully to the, to the world in which we live. We just pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.